This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz, This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you're here. Thanks for choosing the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Your quest for podcasts of the paranormal, supernatural, and the unexplained ends here. We invite you to enjoy all our shows we have on this network. And right now, let's, let's start, start with, with Shades of the Afterlife with Sandra Champlain. Welcome to our podcast. Please be aware the thoughts and opinions expressed by the host are their thoughts and opinions only and do not reflect those of iHeartMedia, iHeartRadio, Coast to Coast AM, employees of Premier Networks, or their sponsors and associates. We would like to encourage you to do your own research and discover the subject matter for yourself. I'm Sandra Champlain. For over 25 years, I've been on a journey to prove the existence of life after death. On each episode, we'll discuss the reasons we now know that our loved ones have survived physical death, and so will we. Welcome to Shades of the Afterlife. In 1926, the physics professor William Barrett described a remarkable incident associated with a dying school-aged girl. The account is retold by the dying child's brother, who was present at the time. She knew she was passing away and was telling her mother how to dispose of her little personal belongings among her close friends and playmates when she suddenly raised her eyes as though gazing at the ceiling toward the farther side of the room, and after looking steadily and apparently listening for a short time, slightly bowed her head and said, Yes, Grandma, I am coming. Only just wait a little while, please. Our father asked her, Hattie, do you see your grandma? Seemingly surprised at the question, she promptly answered, Yes, Papa, can't you see her? She is right there waiting for me. At the same time, she pointed to the ceiling in the direction in which she had been gazing. Again, addressing the vision she evidently had of her grandmother, she scowled a little impatiently and said, Yes, Grandma, I'm coming, but wait a minute, please. Then she turned once more to her mother and finished telling her of what her personal treasures were to give to her different friends. At last, giving her attention once more to her grandma, who was apparently urging her to come at once, she bade us each goodbye. Her voice was very feeble and faint, but the look in her eyes as she glanced briefly at each one of us was as lifelike and as intelligent as it could be. She then fixed her eyes steadily on the vision, but so faintly that we could just catch her words saying, Yes, Grandma, I'm coming now. 
Then, without a struggle or evidence of pain of any kind, she gazed steadily in the direction she had pointed out to us where she saw Grandma until the absence of oxygen in her bloodstream because respiration had ceased, leaving her hands and face covered with lifelessness. In 2009, I was part of a large medical study examining the last days and hours of life for palliative care patients in India. We interviewed 100 families about their loved ones' last days. In one of these interviews, I came upon a remarkable story of another child whose experience paralleled to the one I just recounted. Anita was an eight-year-old girl dying of AIDS, but with no medical history of opioid or painkiller use. In the week leading up to her death, her prescribed pharmacology therapy consisted of some antibiotics, antivirals, but most of these were refused by the child during this period. On the day that she died, Anita announced to her mother, in a very matter-of-fact way, that her late grandmother had come to sit with her. Her grandmother had died four months previously. The grandmother would sit beside her and chat, occasionally calling for her. Mother, she had said, don't hug or hold me anymore. Don't put me on your lap because it's time for me to go now. Don't do any more things for me. I am going with grandmother and I need to go now. And later that day, she died. What I just read to you was written by Professor Alan Kelleher, author of such books as The Study of Dying, From Autonomy to Transformation, and The Inner Life of the Dying Person. And these words came from the book, Visitors at the End of Life, Finding Meaning and Purpose in Near-Death Phenomena. I know we've talked many times on Shades of the Afterlife about these deathbed visitors that come to us within days or hours or sometimes even a month before passing. Out of all the reasons we have to believe in the afterlife, for me, I think the most comforting stories I hear are about these visitors that come. We know and we trust that We have invisible beings and loved ones that join us on this earth and they're cheering us on. And someday when we return home, we'll get to hug them again. But the fact that no one dies alone, that we have friends and loved ones that take us across the veil. Well, those stories are so meaningful to me. So while we're here together, I'd like to share more stories of some of these wonderful visitors that take us home, and also give some comfort that we are never alone. It's not easy being human, and I don't think it was meant to be. When we look back on our life, I'm sure we can agree that there's a lot of growth that came out of our toughest times. Each one of us is on our own unique journey, but help and support is around. If you're new to Shades of the Afterlife, or even if you're not, I just got the domain name, shadesoftheafterlife.com, where you can easily find all of the episodes. And if you're interested in more of these wonderful stories of deathbed visitors, you can check out episodes 7, 80, 122, and 154. Here's some more stories. This one from a hospice worker. I recently witnessed a profound deathbed vision while I was on site during a training. An older woman in the later stages of pancreatic cancer, who was under close supervision due to her declining condition, was, understandably, upset about her life. Although she was declining, she wasn't expected to pass for another few weeks. I was shadowing an older resident, RN, on site, and we stopped by her room, and we chatted with her for a while, the usual charting and pain management shebang. Suddenly, her demeanor changed completely to one of complete happiness and acceptance. She smiled, gazed to a corner of the room like she was staring right through us and remarked, Oh, thank goodness, Randy. I was afraid you wouldn't show up. I'm ready to go now. 
As I was informed later by another nurse who had spoken with her daughter, Randy was her husband of 32 years who had passed some years prior. She sat up smiling, reached for the corner of the room. Her breathing subsequently slowed, and you could see the life leave her body as she took her last breath, and she fell on the pillow behind her. The resident RN, who's been there for almost 20 years, didn't even bat an eye. She said this was incredibly common. Barbara Carnes, an end-of-life educator who worked as a hospice nurse, said she had many similar experiences. In the weeks and days prior to death, she said, patients typically engage in a life review, contemplating their triumphs, mistakes, and choices. Many do begin talking to people in a world that others can't see. The person has withdrawn from this world, and they seem to be living in another world. They can hear you, but to them, it sounds like it's afar. Carnes recalled her own mother, who had conversations with her recently deceased stepfather, as well as an angel who went from peeking through the window to approaching close to the bedside. In another instance, Carnes said, a young boy born with AIDS began collecting money in the weeks prior to his death for a trip to see his parents, both of whom had died. Hours before his death, the four-year-old started grinning pointing to the upper corner of the bedroom and calling his mother by name. He stayed focused on that corner until he died. Karn said, you can't convince me that his mom wasn't there to help him get from this world to the next. Psychologist Marilyn Mendoza, a clinical instructor of psychiatry at Tulane University Medical Center, became interested in deathbed visions after her mother experienced several. Early one Sunday afternoon, Mendoza was straightening up her mother's room as she lay in bed when her mother called her over and said she was ready to go. I hugged her and I gave her a kiss, and then it got really quiet, Mendoza said. And then the next thing was, she got really angry. She said, they tell me it's not my number and I can't go yet. Another time, her mother reported that she couldn't leave because her mother, Mendoza's grandmother, with whom she'd had a tempestuous relationship, was blocking the doorway. Mendoza feels certain these issues were resolved before she died. My mom died on a Sunday. June 4th, she said, and after that experience, she was inspired to conduct a survey of nurses from specialties such as hospice and oncology to explore this deathbed visitation phenomena. Tawny Batty, a nurse and end-of-life educator, says that family members who feel responsible and maybe even guilty for not being present at the moment of death can take comfort knowing that there is help from the other side. Nobody dies alone, she said. Somebody is always there with them. Adding that bereaved family members can experience similar comforts. A dream in which the dead person assures the living that they're all right. A sensory experience in which a smell or touch appears that they can associate with their loved one. At one talk she gave, Nurse Batty found that a room full of 36 people all had such post-death experiences. She says, if we started sharing these stories more and normalizing them, how would that impact how we approach the end of our lives? It's not going to change the pain part of it, of losing someone we love, but it takes away that extra sting and leaves us with a sense of awe. When we come back from the break, we are going to hear more stories of these wonderful companions that remind us we are never alone and we are dearly loved. So we'll be right back. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Stay 
right there. There's more Sandra coming right up. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com shades today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot shades. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do find this missing girlfriend and tell her story with the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one like my producer Anna oh my god my friend Dr. Mindy Shapiro hi it's Dr. Shapiro and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner and of course Gail's sister Elaine Katz having no closure it kills you join us as we try to solve a 35 year old cold case It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take us with you anywhere. This is the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now more Sandra on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain. Lev Shestoff said, It happens sometimes that the angel of death, when he comes for a soul, sees that he has come too soon, that the man's term of life is not yet expired. So he does not take the soul away, but leaves the man with one of innumerable pairs of eyes with which his body is covered. And then the man sees strange and new things, more than other men see, 
and more than he sees himself with his natural eyes. That quote hit a nerve for me. I remember a friend of mine after she was diagnosed with breast cancer, she got a new lease on life. She said the little things that used to worry her became no big deal anymore. Sounds became brighter. Voices became happier. Colors became more intense. It was as if she was seeing the world through a new set of eyes. It reminds me of Dr. Wayne Dyer's quote, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Whether it's a near-death experience, an illness, or perhaps we are with a loved one when they pass and we're lucky enough to witness them experiencing a loved one coming for them, I think we do get that new vision, as this quote by Lev Shestov says, leaving us with an innumerable pair of eyes. When we talk about life after death, I think the reason we all want it, and we all want to know that it's true, is to help us live a better life, to know that our loved ones are still around, and then we'll get to see them again, and it can give some meaning to our life. I don't want any of us to have a near-death experience, but if we can have that transformation and be able to live a greater quality of life with fresh eyes that can experience so much, that's what I want from these episodes. Dr. Michael Barbato is a retired palliative care physician and author of the books Caring for the Dying and Reflections of a Setting Sun, Healing Experiences Around Death. He says, I have worked as a palliative care doctor for almost 25 years. The transition from mainstream medicine was more challenging than I had imagined. For the first time, I encountered people in the course of their dying, described experiences that defied logic. These included visions of predeceased relatives, prophetic dreams, out-of-body experiences, and waking from a comatose state immediately before death. Others exhibited a serenity I had not considered possible. He says, the magnificent of such enigmatic phenomena is captured in this one remarkable sentence spoken by an elderly woman to her grieving family just before she died. Beaming with a smile, she said, my bags are packed, my boat has come, I am going on a beautiful holiday, and none of you can come with me. He shares these stories. Laura had been unwell for many months. She had an aggressive form of cancer that had spread throughout her body. She was a determined woman, and despite increasing weakness and weight loss, she tenaciously hung on to her independence. It ultimately took a fall at home before she would accept admission to the local palliative care unit. Over time, her condition deteriorated, and it became clear to her family and her carers that she was dying. Laura knew about her cancer, but as had been her habit, she politely steered any conversation away from her ill health and welfare. She was frightened, and her fear of death had been exacerbated by the sudden and unexpected death of her husband, Tony, some weeks before. The family and hospital staff wondered how she would cope when the moment of truth came. The night before Laura died, she said to her daughter, Tony is coming tonight. Stunned by this statement, her daughter asked, What are you going to do? To which Laura happily replied, I think we will go dancing. Laura and Tony both loved dancing, and it was at a dance that they had first met. Laura died peacefully in her sleep that very night. And this is the story of Trent. Trent was a young man with rapidly advancing cancer. It had spread to his bones, which resulted in considerable pain. Despite frequent courses of radiotherapy and large doses of morphine, the pain increased, necessitating his admission to the hospital. Adjustments to treatment resulted in some, though not complete, pain relief. Despite the large doses of morphine, Trent remained lucid at all times. He was a popular personality and his hospital room was always overflowing with visitors. One evening, his father joined the hordes of people in the room and 
As he went to sit on the only empty chair, his son called out, Be careful, Dad. Don't sit on my friend. The father, looking at the empty chair, asked, What friend? He is a good friend, and he is here to help me, Trent said. And he went on to explain that his friend had, unbeknown to everyone, been with him for several days and often occupied that chair when no one was around. Everyone was stunned. And the story of Jane. Several years ago, I was one of many doctors looking after five-year-old Jane, who had leukemia. She had been sick for most of her short life, and at the time of my involvement, she was close to death. Although she was unable to express her feelings, she was clearly frightened, and for this reason, had, for the past few months, shared her parents' king-size bed at night. Every morning, her father would rise early to make his wife a cup of tea. Jane was usually asleep at these times. One morning, he was surprised to find her wide awake, but chose not to say anything as she was staring out the window and, for the first time in months, appeared serene, peaceful, with a smile on her face. When he returned some minutes later with a cup of tea, he found his daughter had died. It may be speculative, but I would like to believe Jane was not looking aimlessly out the window, but was enthralled by a deathbed visitor. An eight-year-old boy dying of cancer, whose parents had avoided talking to him about death, told them one day that he dreamed that Jesus had pulled up to his house in a big yellow bus and invited him aboard, telling him he was soon to die and come home. This is a story from Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. There was an American Indian woman who was hit by a hit-and-run driver on the highway and was near death when a total stranger stopped and asked if he could do anything to help her. She said, no, there is nothing else you can do for me. But then on second thought, she said, if one day you go to the Indian reservation, tell my mother that I was okay, that I was not only okay, but very happy because I am already with my dad. And then she died in the arms of the stranger. This man was so touched that he was at the right time at the right place that he drove 700 miles out of his way to the Indian reservation where the American Indian mother told him that her husband, the victim's dad, died one hour before the car accident of a coronary on the Indian reservation, 700 miles apart. Dr. Christopher Kerr, who wrote the book, Death is But a Dream, is the chief executive officer and chief medical officer of Hospice and Palliative Care, Buffalo, New York. Here is a clip of a son talking about his mother's end-of-life vision and her visitors. Well, just prior to her going into the unit, she was having those experiences here at home, especially like maybe she was home. And I would ask her, I said, who are you talking to? She would call these people by name. And I knew who they were. Gone for a while. So that was the start. And it continued on. Along with those conversations, uh, she had also had, had made the prediction uh, a week before she passed. She made the comment, um, he told me the end of the week. And I asked her and I said, who, who's he? And she just pointed up to the ceiling and she looked up at the ceiling. And I said, well, what do you mean the end of the week? And she just looked at me and she said, death. What do you say to that? And she was lucid. It wasn't like she was in and out of uh, consciousness. At the time. At the time. At the time, right. At the time. So when she, because, so like I say, this was like about a, seven days mm -hmm. before. Mm -hmm. And uh, then uh, she had made kind of a day to another visitor, and as I was, mm -hmm. basically said the same thing, you know, where at the end of the week, you know, and we said, well, what do we mean the end of the week? I'll be dead. You know, somebody's laying there, you know, they're, they're, they're not doing well. I mean, surely nobody's telling them that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, none of the staff, none of the family, you know. And then after that, then, you know, the continuation of the conversations with uh, past family members, friends, 
And then one of the last ones that she had was with a parish priest. When, when I was growing up, this priest had been murdered in the uh, rectory garage. And this was back in uh, January of 1960. He was talking to her because she said his name twice on two different occasions. She called out his name. And so, and she not only mentioned it to us, she had mentioned it to one of the staff members who happened to know the story of this priest. And it just blew her away. Because <laughs> she commented to us, she mentioned Father Bell. Probably up until the last three days, maybe. I would say, yeah. About the last three days. Mm -hmm. And then she was pretty much uh, sedated pretty good. It was, looked very peaceful, mm -hmm. you know, like she had had her conversations with mm -hmm. people who had come to her, you know, which I think brought her a lot of comfort, you know. But that's uh, pretty much what, what covered those 11 days. And um, and I was I was okay with all that because uh, I, I knew they were helping her get ready. Helping her get ready. It's a natural process, one that we are looked after, cared for, and we don't go through it alone. When we get back from break, we'll hear some words from the dying about living. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Don't go anywhere. There's more Shades of the Afterlife coming right up. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, the Apollo Jim murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with the Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Listen anytime, anyplace. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. 
And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is George Norrie, and you're listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Thanks for being here. Now let's get back to more with Sandra. Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain, sharing some stories of deathbed visions that no one dies alone. And we have a cheering committee, friends, loved ones there to bring us home. To me, it is the most comforting thing to know that not only in life, but in death, we have friends invisibly by our side. In this segment, I want you to hear the voices of some of the dying and some of their experiences. And one is even a message for the living. Now, these dreams are true to life. They are just as clear as if the dying person is talking to a doctor or a family member in the room. They are absolutely that real. If you have not yet gotten yourself a copy of the book, Death is But a Dream by Dr. Christopher Kerr, I highly recommend it. As a hospice physician, he studied more than 1,600 dying patients and tells so many incredible stories. This next story comes from Palliative Care Buffalo, and this is the story told by Jean. This was a very significant thing. But when I woke up, I was happy. It left me with a good feeling that somebody was there. I was laying in bed, and people were walking very slowly by me. The right-hand side, I didn't know, but they were all very friendly, and they touched my arm or my hand when they went by. But the other side were people that I knew. My mom and dad were there, Uh, my uncle. Everybody I knew that was dead was there. (laughs) And they passed and did the same thing. The only thing was my husband wasn't there, nor was my dog. (laughs) And I knew that I would be seeing them or hoping to see them. During the period of time after I woke up, the next day, I assume, I felt good. I felt good to see some people. And the other ones didn't bother me either. (laughs) When I told my family that uh, I was happy about it, and that's what they asked. How does it make you feel? Well, I feel good about it. I thought it was a good dream, but boy, I remember seeing every piece of their face and I mean I know that was my mom and dad and uncle and my brother-in-law and I have seen my mother recently more how do you feel when you when that when you see her oh wonderful <laughs> I can't say that my mother and I got along all those years but we made up for it at the end Yeah, but I never realized it as much as lately. It seems like I'm doing more and having more substantial dreams than if people would understand them or go poo-poo and, you know, say, I don't believe in that kind of stuff. I think more and more people are getting a little bit more hip to dreams than, uh, than they were before. 
Dr. Kerr says some patients described dead friends and relatives in these dreams as waiting for them. One woman reported that she had both waking and sleeping dreams of six family members in her room. She added that they were waiting for me and that she felt it was really good to see them. Three days before another woman died, she reported experiencing both waking visions and dreams of being at the top of a staircase with her dead husband waiting for her at the bottom of the staircase. Once again, the presence of these dead friends and family members was experienced as comforting. There were patients, however, who expressed that they were not ready to die. And these patients experienced some distress at the fact that the dead were, in fact, waiting for them. Next, I'd like to play for you some words from Alice. Alice is a palliative care patient, and her words with her illness are somewhat muffled. I feel that your soul will understand most of what she is trying to say, if not all because her joy and her passion and her message for all of us is profound. Here's Alice. My name is Alice Miller. I'm 79. was married twice. My first husband died. My second husband, I discovered. Uh, I have three surviving children. My youngest son died. I'm presently in independent living. Uh, got a terminal disease. It's not terrible, not treatable. A number of diseases, but that's the main one. And I'm not going to live that long, much longer. We don't know. I'm having fun. And there's a campus minister that comes around. Her name is Renee. And she leads me through a meditation. And she usually plays a song. And she'll read a verse or or some thought. But this time she started out with, Here I am, Lord, which is a very wonderful song that I like. I used to be able to talk. I used to be able to sing. And I used to love to sing that song when I was able to sing. As I was sitting for the meditation, I had my eyes closed, listening to the words, and in front of him appeared my mother, in front of my father. And behind them was my husband, who died in 1974, my son, who died in 2011, my brother Normie. I was his guardian. He died at the age of 65 in 2009. And my mom had one hand out to me. I felt this enormous love. You just can't explain the enormous love I felt coming from my mother to me. I never felt that that kind of feeling when she was alive. I knew she loved me. Trust me, I knew that by everything she did. But this love was so warm and enveloping, and they were all there and right behind them, larger was Jesus. When the song ended, I looked at Renee, and all I said is, I'm going to have one hell of a welcoming party when I get to heaven. And then he told to me, I use hell in the same sentence that I use heaven. But it was so warm. So it's hard to explain the joy, the peace, they were as old and sick as they were when they died. They were younger. My son was the same age, but he wasn't sick. The bloatedness from his disease and the cancer was gone. My brother Normie was able to see. He wasn't blind anymore. And he was smiling. He looked lovely. My dad was happy. He always was a happy person. My husband in his thirties, he died in his thirties. He looked like he did in his thirties. He had not aged. Had the pompadour, the knife, <laughs> so sexy. And my mom wasn't like I saw her. She wasn't thin bones. 
She was healthy like she used to be when she made dinners on Sunday. And my dad was right behind her and he had his hand on her shoulder. It just felt, I, how do you express intense love? I have never felt that much intense love in my life. It's beyond physical. It wasn't physical. It was internal, spiritual perhaps. And this a caregiver believes them. They're not making it up. It gives them comfort. You have your own emotions. You're losing someone. You're trying to take care. You want them to live. But they may need comfort from the end of life vision. This is giving them hope of a life beyond. Support them. Hold their hand. Be there. We need you to be there. We need your love. We need you to say, I'll be there. You can go home. My mom didn't die in hospice, but I told her, Mom, there are your brother, there are your parents. I'll take care of Dad. No, they're waiting for you. She died the next morning. Tell them if they're really suffering, tell them it's okay to go. And is there anything you'd like to share with Propani healthcare professionals about this experience? Believe your patients. You are the ones that help. I confide in my hospice people more than my family. I know I burned my family. I burned hospice. They're trained. They will help you. I have wonderful nurses help my husband transition. Professionals, take care of those people. We rely on you. You deserve every accolade you can get. I know it was difficult to understand Alice's words, but her mom, her dad, her brother, her son, who are all in the afterlife, she saw as healthy and well. Her brother was no longer blind. Her son, who died very bloated from cancer, was healthy, young, and well. And her husband looked in his 30s with his pompadour hairdo, and she said he was sexy. Her message is, you may be losing someone and you want them to live, but at the end of their life, support them, hold their hand, be there for them, understand their visions are real. And her message for healthcare providers, believe your patients, that she confided in her hospice people more than her family. They were trained and they could take it. And she gave accolades to the healthcare providers and how special they are. Let's go to the break and there's much more to come. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Don't go anywhere. There's more Shades of the Afterlife coming right up. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, 
The Apollo Jim murders I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with the Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Producer Tom, and you're right where you need to be. This is the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, it's the Wizard of Weird, Joshua P. Warren. And now, here's more Shades of the Afterlife. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain. Back in 2021, Las Vegas aerospace entrepreneur Robert Bigelow announced his very first contest, looking for evidence of life after death. Since then, he has given out over $2 million in prize money, and his website, BigelowInstitute.org, has some fascinating essays of why to believe in the afterlife. Now, this isn't light reading. These are chock full of evidence and supporting material. In the 2021 contest, one of the honorable mentions was our friend, Dr. Christopher Kerr. You can read a lot of supporting details about these deathbed visions. And also check out his book, Death is But a Dream, and visit his website, Dr. Christopher. Kerr.com. This episode will be aired during the holiday season, but I'm aware you may be listening to this at any time of the year. So whether you are celebrating the holidays, a birthday, an anniversary, next, I'd like to play for you a special message from our friend Eric through the trance mediumship of Scott Milligan. How special you are and how close your loved ones are. Step ever so gently throughout this life in which you live, but stamp so loudly in the world of your dreams. For this world in which you live is ever so fragile for you, but isn't everything that is beautiful is fragile 
for each of you who are born to listen to our world, naturality, our world listens to you. For we come only to serve, to serve God, however one sees God. For many of you hold the gifts of the soul that serves the spirit in cooperation with each other. We walk with you. For it was once said, if you are to follow me, I will abandon you. If I was to follow you, you abandon me. For I walk only by the side. No one in front or left behind. We are patient with the steps. But within your dreams, the soul experience, whatever the mind can paint, for the soul has come for experience, but walk in both worlds. Sometimes it is a foolish dream, but dream nevertheless. For you see through child's eyes such innocence, for they still echo the world in which they come from and how this world is molding a potential, for it is a step to a greater world to come. But we are reminded as you approach the festival of life, so many people will view this time differently, for it is not the size or the glitter of the gift you give that will cause you worry in the month that follows. It is the gift of your company. For a child to be heard, a child to stand with you, to create memory, that is the gift that they carry for eternity. For a toy that is given today, will simply be discarded as this world continues to influence. For we cannot give you pockets of gold or silver, but we can give you knowledge, share story, or simply listen that enriches the whole fabric of existence. For many of you have prayed, you have prayed for peace, you have prayed for warmth and comfort, as money seems to cause such distress in a time where your world is bright. Do not concern yourselves, my friends. If the turkey is not as fat or plump as the one before, do not concern yourself if the glass is only a little instead of being a lot. But concern yourself with this, my friends, that is a sharing your love. And if children run amok, do not respond in anger, but run with them. Be with them. For there are countries of your world where it isn't so, and children are viewed to be different. The table will not be set. The plate will be empty. You will hear in your houses, in your halls, great celebrations, and others will hear the sound of war. 
people will pray for snow and a dusting will be granted. Others will pray for warmth, for they have no pillow to rest their weary head. Now I've not come here to be a storyteller or to remind you of the tales of Scrooge. Those who have little in actuality have a lot. Because they squeeze every ounce of fun and enjoyment for what they have. Those who throw money at children who are petulant, it will never be enough. For look back when one was a child, one who had a handful of coal, an apple, or an orange. For if one lived by the docks, the spice ships, their fragrance, who carried on the cold breath of wind. For we knew then, it is about bringing our families together. So the spirit of this year is to be thankful for the air that you breathe, the peace that you hear, and the spirit that walks through us all. No matter what faith you carry, you could always find enjoyment listening to others who are celebrating at this time. Knowledge is the true currency of your world. Share it wisely. As once again the sun must set, and I will go silent to your ears but not silent to your heart. For if you are to place your hand across your heart, what you feel is your beat of your own heart, but also the love, the one that stands with you, is trying to say, I'm still there. So if you are distressed and you feel that you are alone, place your hand across your heart and hear the voice of all those you miss. We are carried in your heart as you are carried in our love. Good day to you, my friend. And good day to Eric. You can meet Eric and ask your own questions on a Friday with Scott Milligan and myself. You can simply find our next In the Arms of Eternity at wedontdie.com. Click on the store page. And you can also come visit me on the free Sunday Gathering inspirational service with medium demonstration included. As I said in the beginning, I know life is hard. I want to leave you with this quote from Silver Birch. The seed of truth cannot grow where the heart is hard and the mind is stony, but can flourish only where there is a receptive soul, one who is ready to receive truth and to follow truth wherever she leads. Before you are ready for truth to dwell in your midst, you must have endured some of those experiences which life provides in order to make you ready for the truth. When you had those experiences, you may have thought, that life was bitter and harsh and unkind, that you were forgotten or lonely or neglected, and fate had dealt you a very hard blow. But the soul grows through adversity, and the pure gold emerges after the processes of crushing and refining have taken place. Remember the diamond takes a whole lot of time and pressure to become a gem, and remember the pearl that bit of sand, the irritant that polishes one to be a beauty. My friend, you are never alone. You are loved. Now, I have a request that you go do something nice for yourself or treat yourself to something. I'm Sandra Champlain. Thank you for listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM. 
Paranormal Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Make sure and check out all our shows on the iHeartRadio app or by going to iHeartRadio.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz, This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.